0: 1994年11月20日
1: Howdy everybody, my name is George Thompson and welcome to Big Egg Podcasting Universe episode number 10, the Big 1-0. We've actually done 10 episodes of this, of a single show.
0: We only had 13 planned long term and then we've just decided loads of them need to be split into multiples. Yes,
1: yes, it it, it turns out when you do a podcast series on a 10-hour wrestling show there is actually quite a lot to get your teeth into. Um, This episode is kind of it's going to be a bit of a, a palate cleanser before we get to the sharp end in that this is actually the only episode in our run where we're just reviewing a single match. I mean, episode nine was meant to be just a single match, but uh, then someone came up with the with the great idea of reviewing all of the Borna Karno and Lundra Blaze uh, matches on the network. And and what a, what a great notion that <laughs> turned out to be. Cheers. Yes. Uh, so, uh, yes, this is going to be, we are going to be talking about the juniors. So we are going to be discussing the third match on the show, which is for the AJW Junior Championship. And uh, essentially what we want to do, as has been the case with this podcast, is use the match as a jumping off point for a, an aspect of Joshi wrestling at the time and uh, and more broadly. So um, before we get into this, I'd like to introduce my co-host, David and Sarah. How are you both doing?
2: Hello, I'm doing well. Um, we've recorded like four episodes in like the last two weeks uh, when Fessel went on this amazing run. So I look forward to our fans Listening to each episode, waiting for the moment where reality hits, and I was really fucking depressed for the next episode. But for now, we're 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 coasting, we're riding the wave, baby. But I'm excited to be back here, Big Egg Ten, uh, Electric Google N. Here we are. <laughs> I should I should
1: point out, David is talking about his um uh his other podcast, uh, the Per Podcast, has never been on uh, riding the crest of a wave, and never will. So um, <laughs> and uh, Sarah, how are you doing?
0: Yeah, all right, thank you. Um I'm trying to think of it felt a bit weird getting back into the research for this because we've had a bit of a gap since the last time we recorded an episode. So it, it was a it was a little bit how do I do this again? But you know, it's always nice to be talking to you too. It feels ah. like it's been ages since I've spoken to David. I guess it yeah.
1: has, hasn't it? I mean, yeah, we, we tend to talk when we record. And uh, yeah, there's been a little bit of a gap in the recording between episode 9 but this, you know, th- these are never sort of uh Current episodes, like it's not like anyone needs our hot takes on a show from uh, nineteen ninety four. Uh, you know, it's it's always going to be quite far in the past. <laughs> and if there's one thing the Triple P always excels at, it is uh, releasing things on current wrestling in a timely fashion. So it's quite nice to um, <laughs> just be able to take our sweet time with this and to bring yeah. you the high quality product that you lovely listeners so deserve.
2: This is actually a post match reaction show. <laughs> we literally were in the, in the Tokyo Dome cafe right now in nineteen ninety four. This just is just how long the it chair. takes
0: us to get episodes I, out. I,
2: I, yeah, the they want to throw us out. The barman want to go home. They have families. But we, we just refuse. We're, we're
1: recording this on microfiche.
2: <laughs> I can no
1: longer feel my ass. I've been sitting in a plastic seat for ten hours. <laughs> um. So yeah, this is going to be. Um. So yeah, the juniors. So um. As, as we have uh, discussed uh, previous, on previous episodes, um, young, young women in wrestling uh, in Japan has always been a thing since its inception. And as for why this e- we're doing this as a different episode to the, uh, I believe it was uh, episode four, where we talked about the opening match on the show, which was, uh, which was uh, young rookies. Uh, the, the reason is, is because, um, uh, so being a young wrestler and being a rookie is not necessarily coterminous in uh, in modern Joshi. Uh, for example, you have, well, uh, people like Mina Shirakawa in Stardom, who started at the age of 29, and she would have already, already been retired if she'd been in AJW. Or for an even more extreme example, Takiko Kirahara in Gato Move, who made her professional wrestling debut at the age of 44. And on the other hand, you have young wrestlers who are not rookies, people like uh, Riho and uh, Hiragi Kurumi and uh, and asme and pe- people like that who have uh, who are still like sort of late teens early 20s but have had uh, very long careers al- already uh, so they're not necessarily one of the same being a young wrestler and being a rookie but uh for much of ajw's history this was the case just because they would uh hire the, the the girls out of high school and then you know their career will be done just by the time they're twenty six. So it does tend to be that if you're a rookie you are of a certain age. That's just how they did the uh how they did the tryouts. Um so I guess the first thing to uh just I I think just talk about is um I think what the place of uh of young wrestlers is nowadays in the uh, in the business. I've got a theory uh, which I, I don't know if this is like a massive generalization, but I would like to expound upon it. So back in the eight, back in the 80s and the early 90s, uh, the, the girls who um, auditioned for AJW were high schoolers who were into mainstream pop culture because that's what uh, Joshi was at the time with the with the Beauty pair and the Crush Girls and all the rest of it. And that's why they had many thousands of people audition. And that's why the roster was so good, because if you can skim off the most athletic 0.1% of all the people who audition, yeah, you're probably going to have a pretty good roster there. But nowadays, um, I'm just, it does seem to be, and, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, the weird girls who do wrestling. <laughs> because, like, just to give some examples of, um, well, Suzu Suzuki and Ice Ribbon, she started when she was uh, 16, 17, and her, her column... In uh, in Pro magazine uh, touches on a wide variety of weird and wonderful topics. You've got Rin Rin and Gato movie started when she was fourteen, and during the pandemic and the break, decided she was going to start attending a sumo club and become a rapper. And um, one of our friends is actually. Uh, met the father of uh, Hanan, Hina, and Rina in Stardom, who all started very young, and said, "Yeah, he's like he's a really friendly guy, and clearly the proudest dad in the world that his uh, daughters are wrestlers. But he's like he's like quite an eccentric dude, <laughs> you know. So like, that's my my theory at the moment is that like, I mean, you have to be a, a bit you have to be a bit weird to want to do wrestling in the first place, but like it does seem to be the kind. It's of... very much yeah,
2: it's very much a goalkeeper's mentality, isn't it? Like you you, you don't like you're drawn to being a wrestler. I mean. Proof positive of this is uh, the Queen of the Universe, um, Chairman Ramu Ram Kajau. Yes, that's right. Started one. when she was, what, like, what, should have been what, eight, eight or nine? Yeah, she was like primary that. school age, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she was like um, doing like uh, matches with Legend like, Kasai in yeah, and stuff they, like they that. Yeah, she just
1: had a goth child and she'd just turn up and chokeslam people. That was essentially. Yeah. I mean, the other, the other famous one is. Um, uh, Oh, what was uh, Haruka? I think her name was that um, eight-year-old girl Kenny Omega wrestled in Stardom. Like that clip goes viral every every six months or so.
2: Six and a half stars. I <laughs> are <And Meltzer laughs> yeah. loved it. Yeah, I, I,
1: absolutely. I mean, it is an Omega match, so uh, yeah. And uh, you you still do have rookies of that age coming through. Like there's a twelve-year-old rookie about to start in uh, in Ice Room. And I can't remember her name, but her her uh, they just announced her as Trainee Grape. I think is like a code name. I would like Grapes
2: to be... Is this key. like a yeah. new Nintendo console? You <laughs> yeah. know how, like, uh, the Nintendo Cuttlefish, that's the new console that's coming in and they change it like the day before they release it. Yeah, I, I
1: imagine. So I want Grapes to be a gamer. I don't know how she's going to... Maybe do lots of double stomps, because that's how the wine growers, like... uh I don't know. It's, it's it's early days. It's still on the drawing board. But uh, you know, I mean, surely
2: Reginald the Sommelier is going to be her. <laughs> he he knows a good grape when he sees one. <laughs> really,
1: you're obsessed with the Sommelier.
2: <laughs> why is he there? Like I've mentioned this in like at least four episodes that we've done, right? And why does Shana Baszler have a wine steward? I just, I just, no way. She sort on. of
0: won him off Carmella, didn't she? Because, like, Carmella went through, like, Carmella brought out this sommelier, and then the idea was that he was, like, flirting with Sasha, and then from that, and through the, like, Weird, can they coexist storyline that they used for the Sasha versus Bianca WrestleMania match. Then that put them in a tag team match with Shayna and Nia. And then basically, Reginald has sort of been like passed along in the same way that the custody of Dominic has been passed along through multiple people. I think now custody of Reginald has gone in <sighs> yeah, lots of different it, it's, places. It's
1: like it fit with Carmella's gimmick because she was like a, her gimmick was basically that she's a fancy lass and enjoys the good things in life. But it kind of doesn't make sense where he, he's, he's literally a like sommelier for hire. He's a hired gun, and he's just going around like offering like the finest wines to to well, so the. It's really fucking weird. Well,
0: sommeliers have got to make money somehow, you know. They've got to off- offer themselves I, around. I, I would I would suggest after like after breaks if... <laughs> the sommelier business is
1: in the toilet, so you know you need
2: to make your money where you can. I would
1: suggest like if he wants to pursue his work of sommeliering, like maybe like apply for a job at a restaurant rather than following a touring wrestling promotion around. But I'm built different, I guess. Um, I think the the other thing to do before we. Um, talk about the uh specifically this match is you know you know it it often uh brings up sort of ethical questions of having uh having girls under the age of 18 doing uh doing pro wrestling like just from the british perspective one of the um things that they had in speaking out is that there was you know trainers entering into relationships with girls who were under 18 and stuff like that and one of the recommendations um that people have suggested going forward is that you shouldn't have under 18s training with over 18s and uh, and stuff like that. The context is of course different in uh, Japan where you have uh, promotions segregated by gender. So that that's going to it's not going to eliminate the the threat of that happening but it would you hope at least mitigate it a little. You have the case of stardom which you know attracts a certain kind of uh, of audience and a lot of the of that is in they are intentionally attracting a type of audience so you know you have you have that entering into the uh into the equation in the modern day so it it it's kind of it, it's kind of an, an issue that become can become quite fraught um but you, you know at the end of the day the girls in question do like i i think a lot of them sort of view it as kind of like an after school club like rather than joining the uh joining the the netball team whatever they just Start doing pro wrestling training. That tends to be well, the it vibe. In like a
0: lot- cur- it is an extracurricular, isn't it? A lot of high schools actually offer, uh, actually do wrestling extracurriculars.
1: Yeah, like amateur, like amateur mm. wrestling.
0: I mean, it seems to be like it'd be quite natural. But I mean, my so my entire sort of research I've done on like the history of junior wrestling is about the fact. It kind of focuses on the fact that wrestling just attracts young women because right from the start, they're watching other young women and it's the most natural thing in the world that they would want to follow that. So I think it, you know, I think to an extent it's, um, to an extent it was inevitable that you'd have that, that you'd have that interest. And if they're the people who are, you're going to be marketing your product towards, if they're the people who are going to be potentially buying your products, then, you know, there's something really easy and immediate about them seeing themselves on the screen isn't it so i can absolutely see what the i can absolutely see why why you want to do that and so the thing is we don't we don't necessarily know you you know you make a really good point about you know all the the ethical and the safeguarding issues that come with that but obviously we don't know very much about what things were like behind the scenes what we what we do know in some cases for example is there were we know that there were female trainers backstage and things like that as well. And I think that gives you maybe something. I, I can imagine that, you know, although the training would have been quite demanding, and I'm sure Jaguar Yokota was probably quite like a... Yeah. Was, was, was a pretty strict schoolmistress, you know. I, I also, in some ways, I, in an all-female environment, or at least a majority female environment, I think younger I, I think younger women might feel a little bit safer that's why actually one of the one of the other things that you know people have been talking about for for quite a long time is actually having sort of gender you know having you know gender split training sessions and things like that as well so I do think it's a bit I do think it's a bit different but we're at a point with with wrestling today and certainly in the UK after everything that's kind of come out in the past just about a full year now where yeah i mean common sense dictates that we need that we, we need an element of separation and we need to, we we need those safeguards they probably needed to exist back then but like we say we don't we don't really know much about what was yeah, going on I in mean, the background
1: it, it's a different situation now because like, like as you say sarah you know you got you got uh, girls of that age uh, you know, applying to become wrestling because they were the audience whereas now I, I you get uh, they they tend to be a bit older when they, when they start like Joshi trainees because they probably have come to it uh, maybe they grew up watching it but they they might have come to it a bit later and generally speaking they come to it via men's wrestling there isn't so much of a female um, female audience for Joshi anymore um, so you, you know there's there's enough uh enough joshi wrestlers who got into it via big japan death matches or else by uh, new japan or dragon gate and the other and again the other difference with the audience being uh majority female back then the vast majority female is there wouldn't have been as many of the pervy male fans that you do get nowadays um, and well, you, you know it—it it, it, it doesn't bear going into. But you—you—you—you you, you, you know what the uh, what that sort is—is is like, and uh, you know the existence of things like Twitter don't exactly help. In 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 that respect, mind you, if, if Twitter had been around in the eighties, <laughs> can you fucking imagine?
2: Flair versus Steamboat was shite. <laughs> really boring, um, and you know Flair was just terrible. Three and a half stars.
1: Uh, it would be like basically an even more unbearable version of the WWE AEW Flame Wars, but like instead of AEW it's Jim Crockett.
2: It's <laughs> just like eighteen different territories, people piping up for fucking loot out of Quebec.
1: Yeah, that's the uh that's that's the thing. So like it's fair to say that the, the scene for girls of that age, like sort of between sixteen and eighteen, and their opportunities and resting and their inclination to do it was really different in the time we're talking about in the Joshi scene as opposed to how it is now
0: yeah i think that's probably fair but you know we, we are talking about being a young woman wanting to go into wrestling is a different proposition in 1985 than it is in 2020 or 2021 i think it's a and certainly depending on the country depending on the company there are, you know there's a lot of other things that go into that but you've got people like Bull McNamara who I believe was a tag team champion at 16 or something yeah. with Dump Matsumoto like there are it's it's not that they're not good enough that young you know no. it's it's all the it's all the other reasons why you might want to keep you why you might want to kind of give young women a bit more chance to kind of be be teenagers before they get kind of thrust into that very public yeah, role yeah that,
1: that's the thing you want you want to sort of uh tread the line between Wanting again, like like I say, the safeguarding issues, but also just you know, if they want to do it, then like they're probably going to find some way of uh, of uh, of uh, getting into the into the business somehow, and uh, you know, you'd probably rather say it was in a uh, uh, an environment like, for example, Gatto Move, than uh, you know, one of the more idly companies, for instance.
2: Yeah, I think there is that sort of um, range whereby. You can kind of have, incorporate like younger people and things like that because and the thing like will Move because it is a less not seedy but well seedy um presentation and it's a bit more wholesome and more fun so to speak. Kind of it's like starting that can be fun, but you know what I mean. Like in terms of it's a more welcoming uh, sort of environment whereby, like, well, I mean we've, we've talked before about Emmy Sakura about her. Uh, she does like training classes and stuff for like ki- uh, kids and stuff and like bring them through and it's, it's literally just like a gymnastics class or you know like a, a football team that you play for or something like that and it's just kind of encouraging them to keep fit and be creative and stuff like that and I don't think that works when you, you're you getting into it you're sort of you're more idly promotions because again there's going to be that sort of view of well why are you training these people what is the end goal from this and it's Ultimately, going to be profit from them in a sort of idle fashion, whereas Gatto Move is not necessarily about that. No, um, no, Gatto
1: Move like is intentionally like n- not a sexualized promotion, and uh, yeah. Whereas in, in Stardom, your career progression is you're going to debut, you're going to wrestle, you're going to be in photo books, you know, you're going to do the meet and greets with the fan club.
0: Yeah, and I think that. I think it is a different proposition in Gato move to what you get for, um, you know, and I think there are places like Marvellous as well. And, you know, where I think it is, put it this way, if I were a teenager, I know which promotions I would feel safest performing in. But again, I think there's also a lot to do with the way that you, you know, the way that you actually look after the, the wrestlers sort of before during and after the way that you train them the way that you prepare them to be able to deal with that and you know ultimately manage your fucking crowds you know what yes. it, it, it's that simple you know it shouldn't be on it shouldn't be on the it shouldn't be on the young women to have to deal with the creepy fans actually promotions just need to police their fucking creepy fans yeah, yeah you know I, I really and companies are certainly not above it i mean stardom i am looking at you for every photo book you've ever done with someone who was under 18 you know it's that And there have
1: been been a few
0: yeah oh yeah oh yeah there's been a few and you know i think it is it can be really it can be a bit of a complicated issue I, i think actually because you are dealing with people who are very young especially in in japan where people don't come of age until 20. So,
1: yeah in ter- yeah, in terms of like being considered an adult like you can't yeah. drink until then for instance
0: yeah so i think you're already in kind of quite quite complicated uh quite complicated waters and i do think it's if it, yeah speaking speaking just from what we see and from what we know of sort of contemporary jersey what we're learning kind of multiple hands you know with several third fourth whatever hands it seems to me like it would almost have been a little bit easier to be a junior Joshi wrestler in 1994 at Big Egg than it would have been now. Yeah, I, I, Although I, even I would... at this point, at this point, the audience has started to tilt towards being, you know, more gender split and actually more male dominated as opposed to what you were getting in the 80s. But you know, those are almost certainly these are by the time we get to 1994, we're talking about people who've been wrestling for less than two years, so they're probably the people who were being inspired by like Nakano's title reign and adja kong's title reign we're talking people really new like that so yeah i don't think i have an answer but i do think it's i do think it's complicated and as we as we'll say i don't think there's any reason based on the quality of their work and the quality of their talent to to stop women that young from performing
1: no no absolutely as this match will demonstrate before we uh, get on to the competitors should we talk uh, maybe a little bit about the idea of a junior championship
2: well, yeah, I, I really enjoy the idea of a junior championship purely because it sounds silly, right, but you need levels in terms of, t- like, tiers in terms of goals to aspire to. Do you know what I mean? Not not every football team is going to win the Champions League, right? But I don't th- I don't think, like, in WWE, you, you obviously there was a lot of, you know, European and hardcore championships in terms of how that didn't really have the same shine. This is a dedicated belt for a specific genre of wrestling or like subsection where you can say i am the best of this group i am the best of this amalgamation of people and it, it is a form of validation that i think when you're sort of that young that's a really good goal to aspire to because obviously everyone wants to win the big red belt and stuff like that but realistically you're not going to get that uh certainly not for a long long time but that that's a t- the, t- the junior thing is a tangible thing that you can kind of that you can win it as well within your grasp to win it and it is a milestone it shows that you've been accepted and stuff like that so and it's different from other places in that you obviously have your never belts and stuff like that whereby it's actually just tertiary belts that they give to people on the rise up but you know like tanahashi's won the fucking never belt and like masato Tanaka and stuff like that so it's it's a bit different in that you're kind of getting something but you're always going to be Compared to these other people, whereas with this it's a case of you are the best in your field, in this group, uh, by doing this, and you know it's a real it's a real achievement, even though it's like a mid car belt, but they just a the designation of it. Um, I certainly I think for AGW, I think it works a bit better than like a cruiserweight belt, for example. Yeah. Um, and there's a real defined metric of this is the people who are in it and they fight for it, and this is their only division, and it's it's all theirs. So being the king of that pile or queen of that pile is is a big achievement.
0: You could be waiting years to get to the top of the card before you're actually in contention for some of those other ones, especially considering that you're probably 10 years away from retirement at that point as well. And there are people who've already had several years in the business to get to the top of the card. Mm. And one of the reasons why they wanted that churn of the pipeline is because you are literally waiting for somebody else to retire to create space kind of in the next place up the card almost in some places i think what a junior championship does is it helps you build your talent pipeline it gives you your talented young women practice at being a champion actually it, it gives them it, it's also just from a booking point of view all of those matches that they're going to be in are going to be quite low on the card they're going to be quite early it's a really kind of it's a lazy way uh, it's a lazy way of giving them stakes and giving them things that you can build stories around and giving them, you know, giving them feuds, giving them storylines, all those things that actually it's kind of you're using your undercard as your this is your own personal NXT, I suppose. It's the idea that you're building you're using this to prepare them for, you know, when there's a bit more room at the top of the card for them and they're ready to kind of graduate up through those levels.
1: Yeah, I mean I like belts that are there for a specific purposes. Like you say, David, like, what is uh, the Never Belt for? It's originally meant to be, like, a sort of developmental title and then, but, you know, it's really just a tertiary belt with nothing really to distinguish it. Same with the Intercontinental and US titles in, uh, in De Louis Stardom's got a load of belts which are, uh, again, don't really have a, a sort of identity. But, uh, I mean, but one uh, belt they do have is a junior belt. And so, uh, the and as as we've uh, noted before stardom is passed off of uh, ajw in in many ways and their criteria for the junior belt is um you have to either be under the age of 20 or have um, well it used to be that you had to have a career of under 2 years and now it's under 3 years presumably a to provide more opponents and b they put the belt on sireed and was like oh shit she's been resting for a year and 11 months we better uh, we better change this and um sendai girls has a junior title as well which has similar criteria although and i did this look this up before the um podcast just to uh check that i hadn't dreamed this um uh, command bolshoi had a run with it uh, just before she retired, who was very far away from qualifying for the belt on, in terms of age or experience. So I have no idea. So, so, hey, Sindai Girl's booking being weird. Who knew?
2: Is this like when Abyss won the X Division title? Like, <laughs> what? And then he's like, t- he ah, oh, it's the X Division, it's now a hardcore title. And everyone's like, wait, wait, what? Like, you're like fucking twice the size of all the people in it. The-. And then he just had him people with bins. And then it was very- and then Brian Kendrick, for some reason, saved the world. And that was it. But yeah, Um, uh, Halcyon D is a best X-Division champion.
0: I mean, in Sendai, Sendai is one of the ones where a junior championship actually currently makes perfect sense because one of the... So they have this kind of new raft of rookies coming through, um, but, you know, Sendai has a bit of a booking problem at the moment where they are... uh, And this is something that we've all talked about at length and it's not going to come as a shock to anyone, but, you know, they've got about six new rookies all coming through at the bottom. And then there's basically not really much of a mid card and then there's the same people losing to chihiro Hashimoto in the main events of everything and then they've kind of got freelancers filling out the card so as it should be yeah She should just win everything I mean normally I would agree with you but what that means for these you know for these sort of the the girls who've kind of all come through because they are mostly kind of late late teens pretty much the these rookies like they're never gonna get to challenge big hash like oh certainly not for several years before they're actually at that point but at the moment rather than just kind of booking random combinations of them in tag matches or trios matches to fill out your undercard they can actually give them something to aspire to and they can give them something to build towards and you can start building followings around those storylines sendai kind of needed a junior championship. put put, put, put some some
1: respect on the name of Kaneho and canon so like junior championships are still a thing in, in uh, Joshi companies, and like I quite like them, but uh, Sarah, tell us a little bit about uh, exactly what the AJW Junior Championship was all about.
0: I thought you'd never ask. So, we are originally, so originally, this was contested uh, amongst people with less than two years in in wrestling which is in practice because they were all starting so young that's why you actually ended up with it mostly being contested between sort of under 18s it's that you know it's just that they were all starting that young but they were giving themselves a bit of flexibility because one thing that's actually quite interesting is that this it, it gets a kind of a bit of an interpromotional sort of hand around as well which I, so i think it's interesting that me hoshizuki has got um the sendai junior championship at the moment um because interpromotional it's a good way for everybody to get experience actually at that junior level of wrestling different people and different types of people um and i think what we're going to see with this match is that it is that that's kind of part of a great tradition um but so the ajw junior championship um, is a really nice teal coloured belt. Apparently, that wasn't the original. The original was actually brown, and then they realised that this didn't make any sense, <laughs> yeah, and went, for, an uh, and went for like a nice teal one. I, I, um, I was
1: I was looking at this, and I was like, the only teal belt I can think of is the uh, um, Tokyo Joshi International Princess title, and maybe uh, the Ultimate Warriors IC title when the strap was a different like psychedelic colour every week. But like that's <laughs> about it.
2: I do love a t- I do love a teal belt. That's I'm a big fan I, I of love, teal. Yes, yeah, it's it's a, it's a good color, especially especially for belts. Um, it's something out of the ordinary.
0: Yeah, I think what's interesting about it is that you know you're going to stand out when you're doing your parade when you're doing your parade of champions at the start of the show while you're doing your everybody come out and wave. You're going to notice, and it's actually really good for kind of spotting people before they got. You know, almost like a kind of before they were famous, and in some cases before they actually got like their cool wrestler names as well. So you see some of them being right, you know, right at sort of the beginning of their career. Um, when we talk about you know training people to hold the big titles later on, and we talk about giving people practice of being an ace and practice of being a champion, um, let me tell you something about some of the people that had this belt after it was originally set up. So. The first champion was a young lass by the name of Rimi Yokota, um, who I'm presuming that none of us have ever heard no, of no, and indeed. who absolutely went on to do nothing in this promotion whatsoever. So um, isn't still wrestling now. Yeah, so, and, and certainly didn't get a really cool like predator uh, for her first name either in the end. Then you've got um, some people who continue to use the same names throughout. So you've got you know your recognisable names, nobody famous, you know, just the Chigisenagaya, Yumi Agura, Kondos Saito. Norio Teno and Itsuki Yamazaki, which is both of the jumping bomb angels. Pfft, don't know what happened to them. Um, Toshio Yamada, Mima Shimoda, Reibon Amada, um, a young lass by the name of Hisako Una, um, Keiko Nakano. Neither of them is going to turn up on this show at any point. Um, and so in 1992, um, Kumiko Mikawa had been the junior champion, and we talked about her in kind of the weird shoot fights. They were clearly building her for something else at this point. Um, Chaparita Rosari, the much beloved, um, won it in 1993 and 1995. And uh, the the second ever champion was someone called Tomoko Kitamura. Um, don't suppose you've ever heard of her?
1: No, I I I had to look this up.
0: Yeah, David, any guesses as to who Tomoko Kitamura is? Tomoko Kitamura is uh... when is this? Uh, this,
1: this is, um like, oh
2: 1981. This... Yeah, early eighties. Oh uh, um. I want to see Aja Cone, but I don't think it's Azure No, Cone. no, she hadn't. Uh, yeah.
0: dated, uh, We've uh, already had her tag partner. Vice and Kimura.
2: No, for no, sake. No.
0: <laughs> Doris Blind. Doris <laughs> Blind's final answer, Chris. I'm talking about fucking Lioness Asuka, David.
2: Do Lily Westar. I'm sorry, Matt. I'm sorry. I need, I need a cold shower. I can't
0: think of anything apart from Doris Blind and Bison Kimura, can you? Unbelievable. <laughs> so, the point I'm trying to make it is that basically... The chances are that if you were a junior champion, you were going to go on to kind of do great things later on. There are like, there's the odd name on that list of champions that kind of didn't necessarily go anywhere. Um, but there's also a pattern when you go back and you look at the different title reigns. There's actually a pattern of it being vacated and then there being a tournament to win to win next time round. And basically, that's because people kept aging out and having to drop the belt, as far as I can make out. Um, I quite like that. I quite I quite like the idea that you win the
2: belt and you, you you run with it until like the logical conclusion of like you know you graduate out of it and then yeah. the next person it feels more like a the masters or something where just like someone wins it every year you know what i mean like they just come along we have a tournament or whatever and then there's a winner at the end it feels more like a linear yearly championship I than
0: from a storytelling point of view as well when someone's birthday is coming up, or when someone's anniversary is coming up, you don't automatically start assuming that they're going to have to drop the belt before they get too old for the division, either. So, you know, if you know that someone can actually run, can actually basically run out the clock as champion, then I think it gives people, it automatically opens up the matches a little bit more in that division. Yeah, it's,
2: it's, quite, it's quite a cool little story. It adds in as well that, well, well, she's, you know, 21 next year, so, you know... You know, uh, like in three weeks, it's her birthday, so she might lose the belt this time. And it kind of has that jeopardy where you don't know because there is a very logical reason as to why they'll
0: lose it. Yeah. And in some cases, uh, as well, bearing in mind that this was pretty much always done on less than two years of wrestling experience rather than ages and ages just kind of being incidental. If you know when someone debuted, and actually you're more likely to know when they debuted than you are actually when their date of birth is. If you happen to, you know, there'll also be people who will say, you know, I was at her debut and now I'm going to see her graduate. You know, it's that kind of, I think there's a kind of, there's a nice, it's a time limited period of, okay, this is your training program and then you will go out of it. And, you know, either you'll be ready for it in two years time or you won't. Um I yeah I really like it from a booking point of view.
1: Yeah it's really cool. I did have to say actually like so I was um l- just cuz I was curious I was going through the title lineage seeing like what ages these uh, these women would have been when they won the belt and like as you say generally it was like between 16 and 18 yeah. but one thing i noticed uh, and i don't know if the criteria changed but when because uh, jagu was the first champion and when she won the belt she'd actually been wrestling for two years and four months so <laughs> I was, that's like w e hell in the soul levels of immediately fucking your stipulation <laughs> so i guess they might have like reduced the uh the time limits or something
2: yeah did Jagger Yakota then play for that weird Saudi Arabia under nineteens team that definitely was all on the level against Scotland in the World Cup final? Oh the
1: the one where the, the one where the uh, Scottish manager
0: Captain
2: was a fucking army
0: colonel. You two wins. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, this is this is the kind of flexibility that JWP gave themselves. So JWP, um, I can't really talk about how that... How the JWP Junior Championship came to be without accidentally spoiling the match that we're about to talk about, so we won't go into detail on that. But right from the but right from the start, that you've got a junior belt that's being defended there as well. Um, and then in 2007, you have um, a young lass called Arisa Nakajima, who uh, definitely you know whatever happened to her actually on the penultimate JD Star Show won that she was the jwp um junior champion she won the jd star title which was the princess of pro wrestling championship um basically as a way of getting the belt out of the company and then the two of them were actually defended together pretty much consistently up until that point and there was a period where it was meant for people who had less than four years experience um, and at one point in i think 2012 or something they upped it to five years and then <laughs> and then put it back to four years like a couple of years later so i think they just I had think, someone they really wanted to make the champion I think five years I, is, is,
1: is a bit much
0: yeah i didn't look into uh, i didn't i didn't write down i'm looking at my notes now i didn't actually write down who who that was or why they'd made that assessment but you know they went they clearly they bent their own rules just to kind of accommodate the people that they wanted to be wrestling for that belt so you know that was a the x
2: division used to do <laughs> this all the time there would literally just be six months at a time oh we're not having weight limits anymore and then they'd be like the the only limit is no limit that was that was their slogan for ages and then like four years and they're like oh yeah we're making a cruiserweight belt well weight limit and everyone's like wait but this was and the, the whole thing was is a similar draw was in it so, like, they couldn't have a cruiserweight weight limit because Samoa Joe was there and he was amazing. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, like, Samoa Joe graduated to be world champion. They're like, oh, we'll just make it a cruiserweight belt. And then it was quite bad for a while. Yeah. And then they're like panicked and they're like, well, don't we just give Samoa Joe the belt again? No more weight limits. Yeah. I, I... And then he just kept going back and forth um, for weird times. And then Abyss became champion for some reason. <laughs> and then, uh, like, yeah, it was just, uh, but, but they did this a lot in the X Division. I, I really enjoy a flexibility of, the rules i i think these sort of belts i i don't i don't necessarily think that the rules are they, they should have that this sort of, of the ability to adapt where somebody comes along who for example if it's a cruiser belt somebody comes along who's a bit too heavy but clearly works in the same style well yeah you should be able to do it the well, parker and wcw is a perfect example of that whereby well, the Packer probably should have been Cruiserweight champion at one point. He was the most overlooked door that they had, but as well as like, he was a big fat bastard, which is also <laughs> part of the reason why he's the most overlooked or But I think like there is a flexibility where if you have a justification, you can do it. So I, I can see whether well, like, the age this and stuff like that, if you've got someone who maybe get injured or something like that, having that sort of flexibility get, adds a little bit of a wrinkle. So I'm, I'm, I'm not a stuffed shirt on these sort of things. I think there is there is a degree of flexibility that needs to be brought brought into these things.
1: I'd like it to be how, you know how in the uh, under 21 uh, euros, like you qualify with the team if you were under twenty one at the beginning of the qualifying campaign, just so people don't age out yes. like during the qualifiers. So then you've got a load of twenty three year olds playing for the England mm. under twenty ones. I want one of those. I want someone to like make a thing of like I'm, g- I'm gonna have this belt till I'm fucking thirty five.
2: You know, uh, <laughs> uh, sometimes... is it like me and my rail card going in on the twelfth of October? <laughs> with, uh, you get three one with I I fucking three year I mean, yeah. how, how how long was it that
1: Yonayama Yama had the belt for in uh, in uh, j- in JWP?
0: Well, so this is going to be part of my, uh, my my lineage of the JWP Junior Championship. So um, bearing in mind where these two belts came from, so by the time we get to 2007, the JWP Junior Championship and the Princess of Pro Wrestling Championship, which is known as the Pop Championship uh, from JD Star are being defended together. The first pop champion from JD Star had been Fuka, who went on to go on to uh, be one of the co-founders of Stardom, yep. um, and was a champion there for a while as well, was uh, she?
1: No, she. I, I, I don't think she was wrestling for Stardom at the time that they had a belt, but... Um, like, she, she, she certainly was one of the founders, and she's not doing MMA and stuff like that as well, like... Uh... Yeah,
0: she was ring announcer for quite a long time in Stardom mm. as well, but so Fuka's someone who was really influential in her own right, so she kind of comes into this, she kind of comes into the lineage of these two belts. Um, so they, they come together with Arisa Nakajima, who wins the who, who wins the pop championship in addition to her junior title. Um, they actually only split up in 2017 when jwp finally shut um but jwp's de- um, belt re- was retired and actually still belongs to their production company um the pop championship went to POJ, where it's still got where, where it's so, still going so a jd on now.
1: star title is still being defended in, in PJ, yes excellent which which was uh for the initiated the uh essentially what Sevco is to rangers like it's basically jwp under another name
0: yeah, yeah, just about. Um, and I mean, it's also the only other
2: Joshi promotion to run a show at the Tokyo Dome.
1: Yes, JD Star. Yeah. That's oh yeah, best. good point. Yeah, I thought you talk about Pure J for me. It's like I think they're a bit, bit too small time for that nowadays.
0: <laughs> well, if we want freedoms,
2: to talk... have run the Tokyo Dome, George. Anything is possible. <laughs> I mean,
0: and if we want to talk about the enduring power of of, of, of Pure J, so um, the final holder of the AJW Junior Championship in 2002 was um, a last called Rena Takase, who uh, eventually became better known as Leon. So... Oh, fuck. Yeah, so still going. And I think he's still in POJ, right?
1: Yeah. And like, I I think like the the AJW Junior title was being defended in POJ. Yeah. Because it like had a period of inactivity after like, I think 1997, 98 was inactive for like three or four years. Mm. And then they decided to do some title matches. But in... uh, in jwp for some reason but yeah like you say jwp has had like quite a litany of amazing uh, amazing junior champions
0: yeah and I mean, when you think about, uh, and I will answer your question now about Kura Yoniyama, um, thinking about the people who have had the JWP Junior Championship, um, the longest ever reign was um Yoniyama, who held it for 771 <laughs> days.
1: I do not think you should be allowed to hold a junior title for 771
2: days. There's I mean, a cup of coffee, that's, that's, that's big, you know getting into the cat unders when you're 18 years old just by pretending uh, you know i'm I'm, I'm, still, I'm still 17 i've been 17 for about three years <laughs> i'm just here to see my pals this is probably well, out of this her, her retirement
0: for, well this belt was for people with less than four years experience okay, so you know if it was two years literally this title reign would have been longer than she was allowed to <laughs> to, to, to be eligible
2: when the, when i wonder how covid do? has i wonder how covid would have hit that where like there would be like a nine-month gap of people just like not defending the belt and they were like, fucking aged, and they're they're out of it. There'll be people that have been cut short when they they got a chance at the belt and they didn't because it was nine months they had to wait before getting the shows back.
0: Oh, you've got a feel for that. But I mean, it's some of the other people who didn't hold the belt for as long as Yoniyama, but who I would argue have kind of gone on to do just you know just as well for themselves. Include Hiroya Matsumoto, Lady Godzilla herself. Yeah. Um, Misaki hmm Kagetsu. Yes. Ryo Mizanami. Yeah. Um the the late great Hanakimura. Yep. Um Sari. Yeah. Rini Yamashita. And mm. uh Keho Kobayashi.
1: That that's a hell of a that's a hell of a title lineage. I'm sure they weren't all like um weren't all knock out the park successes, but bloody hell, like they all have like done great things in Joshi and like in many cases are still doing it
0: I think the point of a junior championship is that they're all works in progress you know not every match between these between these kind of women is going to be a barn burner you're giving them opportunities and you're giving them offer you, you know and you're giving them okay maybe they might not be a world conquering champion at that point in their career but at least by the time they're ready for that leap they, yeah. they've had a bit of experience of how do you carry yourself walking into a championship match yeah. you know it's those kind of things And, and
1: you, would th- you, you would think if they put the junior belt on someone it's clearly someone they see as being a big deal in the future like more so than some of the other people in their rookie class
0: and more often than not they're right yeah the ones i i'm interested in
2: is the ones that they weren't right on there will be there will be sort of gaps in between of people where it's been like even with the agw belt will there will be people who their only accolade was a junior belt yeah. And then they were just like a mid card or they just retired or whatever. And I'm very interested in those and that, that, that being the pinnacle. But yeah, the idea of going back and watching those matches of juniors and just having this insane lineage of just all these guys is fantastic. And but yeah, no, I, I'm really interested in the sort of people like who whose defining chapter was the junior belt. There's got to be people that, yeah. that was that their sort of their big moment.
1: My my favourite in this regard is a wrestler called Numachi who not a lot of people have heard of, but she was junior champion in, like, 1993. And she's someone you sometimes see on AJW cards at the time. Really, like, the only match of hers I've seen was this 5-on-5 five five elimination match, which I think pitted AJW people against, I think, an LLPW team. And there were some, like, very, like, well-known wrestlers on both teams, like, I think... Uh, LCO were on the AJW team, for instance, a lot of big names. And New was just this weird girl in like a like a hard hat and carrying a mallet or something like that, like pure like comedy wrestler. And she ended up being the last woman standing in <laughs> in in the match. And I was like, I've not heard of you, and yet you're like outlasting all of these people who went on to become become big stars. And like she again, she never became a uh, she never became a big deal in the company. Like you know, the, the gimmick wasn't exactly uh, didn't exactly scream main event. But she's somebody you see in the title
2: lineage and you're just like, Yeah, what happened there? <laughs> it reminds me of um, it's a bit of a tangent, but um, Kelvin Grove Museum in Glasgow has paintings from like some of the most incredible painters they've got. I think they've got Monets, they've got Rembrandt's, they've got Degas, um they've got I think they've got Van Gogh, they've got Salvador Dali and stuff like that. All these sort of amazing paintings. And they have a Rembrandt exhibition. Is it like Rembrandt and the Dutch Expressionists? That is what Rembrandt's pals are called, wasn't it? The Dutch Expressionists. Can't remember. But anyway, um, they have this thing where they have like Rembrandt paintings and, stuff, and they have all his pals from like you know Tilburg or Breda or wherever they were in the Netherlands. And I'm like, I'm I'm really interested in the sort of the tagalongs, you know, <laughs> the guys who are quite alright painters, but they were pals of Rembrandt. So like yeah. 250 years later their paintings in like a museum is incredibly valuable because they were just good pals around. <laughs> they, they knew you a know, guy just, who was famous. Yeah, yeah they, they were know,
0: members like... of that school without actually... Yeah. But then by the same token, you know, in the same way that a lot of your top wrestlers' careers were actually built on the people who never got to that level but who made them look good all the way, you know... The vast majority of these people had entire studios of people like doing the backgrounds and stuff on their paintings and then they'd just come in at the front. Like Leonardo yeah. da Vinci, like yeah. the majority of some of his of some of his paintings was done by other yeah. people in well, his, his apprentices. Well, Salvador Dali I saw would just fraud like me. Yeah, Salvador
1: totally. Dali would just get his like apprentices to do like weird surrealist paintings and then just slap his signature on them it's kind of like how um
0: you know how he
2: stood up with fakes as well at the end he would tell you like you would find counterfeiters and stuff like that and just go and sign the painting
0: darley used to, to put uh... his signature on blank pages and then give them to his staff <laughs> seriously what, what would... a worker i oh, know like, unbelievable
2: um
1: so as far as this match goes so the competitors um so this is this this is actually uh, one of the many interpromotional matches uh, on the card. The champion is Candy Akutsu, who is representing JWP, and the challenger is Rie Tamada, who is representing the home promotion AJW. So uh, Sarah, tell us a little bit about these uh, about these two women.
0: Yeah. So following on from what David was saying about you know people who maybe had their junior championship run and then didn't always build on that success, I would say that actually. Um, Neither, I I mean, neither of these wrestlers kind of disappeared after after this but i would say that also neither of them was necessarily like a, a regular main event or anything from from that point on um so i'll start with um ria tamada because she is the ajw um member of this match um so she debuted in 1991 and she actually had a short run with the junior title in 1992 so she's a previous champion and yes if you're doing the sums the fact that she was a champion in 1992 and here we are in november 1994 and yes. she's defending this belt um at Big Egg I think basically she's still your very promising rookie and she's she settled into kind of tag team roles later in her career she was never one of the WWE tag champions which was kind of the top tag belt in AJW um she had the AJW championships um which was the so she had the tertiary belt the AJW championship um she had lower card tag belt so she was the Japan tag champion with a Mariko Yoshida actually yep. was one of those partners. Um, and that that kind of seems to have been it for her in AJW, but she kind of ended up in arsian in sort of 1998 ish um and that's where a lot of people turned up eventually once, once arsian started to exist and once Gale was a thing as well people started popping up there and disappearing from ajw and disappearing from elsewhere um so she goes to arsian and she had four tag title runs there as well before she retired in 2003 and um she had a different partner for each one of those four runs. It's like, like
1: John Cena's. Uh, John Cena's won the Deleuwee tag belts four times, always with the person he was feuding with. Can they coexist? Ooh. And, uh, and
0: uh, you wouldn't catch them falling back on that trope nowadays, for example, with the main women's single title, <laughs> no. would you? Just imagine. <laughs> so, Rhea Ra- Tamada, then, I think is... She's still kind of on the ascendancy in this, but, uh, at this point in her career, but... She's also not going to be found on necessarily the same list as your future, you know, Tomoko Kitamura's and your future not jumping bomb angels and 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 people like that. So you know, she's she she's um maybe not kind of one of the all time like the the hall of famer junior champions, but she's certainly someone that the company saw a lot in. Yeah. At this point, I think we'll bear that out during the match.
1: I, I think like that's I think that's part of the issue where if you look at the. Uh... The roll call of junior champions from the '80s—they're nearly all people who became real big names. Yeah. But at about the time you know when Rhea Tamada debuted and the time her career would have really been peaking, suddenly the Joshi biz- the bottoms fall out of the Joshi business yeah. to a large extent. So you know she could have had a big career in uh, AJW. Were it still like on the level that it had been, as a as opposed to the sort of shell of itself that it became between nineteen ninety seven and uh, two thousand and five. So yeah. uh, that I think that's the, that's the reason where if you look at um, the champions from the early nineties, like a lot of them don't even have a Wikipedia article. The aforementioned Yamachi being one of them. Um, I don't think I don't think Tomato actually does either. So um, it, it's it's kind of quite interesting. Yeah, you have a lot of these wrestlers who. Had solid careers for themselves and were clearly very skilled, as we'll get to when we uh, discuss the actual match. But they kind of fell through the cracks in terms of their legacies and not really wrestlers that people talk about very much now, as opposed to like you know remembering their name on some undercards. Yeah,
0: I think. Candy Akatsuki probably does a little bit better um, out of this, if only because she's the she's the interloper in this promotion. So she's got the AJW Junior Championship, but she's actually from JWP. She debuted there in 1992. Again, she was aged 17, so she's kind of nearing the she's she's also nearing the end of the appropriate level of experience for this belt. It must be said, um, but also by this point she must be so in 1994. She must be 19, so she's probably one of the older Junior Champions that they've had um they clearly saw something in in her as well um she actually beat um the much beloved chaparita Rosari for this title um in 1990 i think earlier in this year if not it had been the end of 1993 but i think it's worth saying she in the classic joshi injury cycle of retirements um she retired due to injury in 1997 Turned up in Arcane in 1998, <laughs> um, and where she was given the gimmick Tiger Dream. Now, if you've never heard of this, it is exactly what you think it is, which is that it's the first attempt at a female tiger mask character. Um, so it it didn't last very long. So that didn't, you know, that didn't necessarily go anywhere for for the company. But I just think it's really cool that you know Arcane. Saw her come in, saw the opportunity to kind of give her something kind of new and interesting to run with, and even if it didn't work, she, you know, she wrestled for a few more years after that. It was a relatively brief stint, and then she wrestled until 2001. Um, But I just think that's really interesting that the kind of the masked wrestlers are still carrying on after we saw Blizzard Yuki a few episodes ago as well you know Joshi was certainly not finished with trying these new g- no, trying these sort well, of mask gimmicks well
1: um uh, uh, Rossi agawa was uh, involved in Arshin so i i think he just loves doing female tiger masks because obviously you have got Starlight Kid in um, in stardom now um but yeah no, i i had no idea about Tiger Dreams uh, existence i'd heard the name Candy Akutsu but like i you know, I'm, not, I'm not a big uh, Arshin expert by any uh, any stretch so like the idea that she was the um first female tiger mask is Christ if you look at uh, how many different Tiger Mask wrestlers there have been. Like, not just the people who have played Tiger Mask himself, But, like, when you think of uh, there's been about seven black tigers, there's been Super Tiger, there's been uh, Tiger Shark, there's been Great Tiger, uh, Tiger's Mask, who's a fan of the Hanshin Tigers baseball team. Um, (laughs) And, you know, you've... I do like Tiger's Mask, I'm a big Tiger's Mask
2: fan. Yeah, exactly. I
1: mean, Tiger Mask Satoru Sayama's promotion uh, is principally comprised of Tiger Mask gimmicks. So, like, if you think of all the different Tiger Masks uh, there have been, in wrestling to be the first female one is quite an
0: accolade who's your favorite tiger mask david oh that's that's
2: a a tough one i seem to remember there was a a real japan match and it was like an eight man tag and all of them were knock off tiger masks (laughs) uh, which is very very funny i do like tiger's mask i i i i really like tiger mask 4 right and i I don't know why right because he's not clearly not the best, but. I I remember a book an Efed once, and it just made him the greatest of all time, and um, it's just kind of stuck with me that I just now believe he is the greatest of all time. Um, but no, I always enjoy watching Tiger Mask. Masawa didn't really care about it. Satoru Sayama, I like Satoru Sayama, but um, yeah, I, you know, it's not Tiger Mask Four. <laughs> I think I think
1: like I think Tiger Mask Four is the only one of like the canonical Tiger Mask who who actually seems to have liked playing the character. Yeah, he
2: doesn't resent playing Tiger yeah, Mask. Yeah, because like
1: yet. Sayama wanted to do Shootstar, Misawa hated it. I don't. Well, Koji Kanamoto was uh, Tiger Mask. Koji Kanemoto also
2: fucking hated it as well. Yeah, he really. didn't do it
1: for that long actually. And uh, but yeah, you know, then there's still Tiger Mask wrestlers knocking about, I and mean, we were all big, uh, big fans of Starlight Kid. It actually reminded me of the um, of uh, just uh, something uh, again, like related to junior wrestlers. The idea of uh, how you ba- balance it with your schoolwork. Because I remember a couple of years ago there was. Uh, I think it was Casey Owens who um, she was meant to compete in the five-star Grand Prix and then she couldn't uh, do it. Cause like there was a fuck up with the visa. So yeah. they had to replace her with one of the, uh, one of the uh, roster who wasn't in it. And basically the next cabs off the rank were starlight kid and Azmi who have been having this um, feud about basically like a, you know, squeaky clean goody two shoes teenager versus a, a, a shitty kid. And they've, they've been wrestling each other, you know, for like four or five years,
0: they're the Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn of the of Yeah, the,
1: they they actually are. They like obviously they've got, as you can imagine, they've got insane chemistry with each other, and I'm sure that's going to be like a main event match for the promotion one day. But um, Star Starlight like Kid is uh, notably very studious and like top uh, came top of her class, which is very impressive that she was able to do her schoolwork at all, um, let alone actually um excelling at it. And so I, I always had this um, impression. You've and you've got like Kid who is uh uh clearly like the, the class SWAT. And then you've got Azmi who clearly does not does not give a shit about schoolwork and like I, I, I think like I read like her parents are found of a school that would let her go in in the mornings only, so she could go to the dojo in the afternoon. And I always have the issue of, of 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 the Stardom management going, oh shit, uh, we've we've lost a wrestler. And at the time, it's not the case now, but at the time, Starlight Kid was a bit above Asmi in the pecking order. So I imagine them thinking, oh, uh, you know, do, do you want to do you want to take her place? And Starlight Kid just going oh, well, you know, we've got uh, final exams coming up. I don't want to uh, let my teachers down, so I think you're going to pass. It's like, okay, as me, and as me, just go, I'll do it. <laughs> just, I don't care. And I think that, that is end up, uh, what ended up happening. And, like, um, she, she, yeah, and she, she did really well in the uh, in tour. I think that's what kind of uh, propelled her up in the estimations of the management. But uh, so, like, like yeah, so the upshot of it is there are still uh, female Tiger Mask wrestlers now and, uh, you know, probably always will be. <laughs> so on to the match itself we
0: just before we do i just want to point out to you um at one point if you don't appreciate candy okutsu by the end of this match i'm just going to tell you now so that we start on a high level um at one point candy's finisher was doing a moonsault off the bottom turnbuckle then getting up and doing a moonsault off the middle turnbuckle and then getting up and doing a moonsault off the turn off the top turnbuckle so like literally three moonsaults of ascending height in a row that's cool as hell yeah I,
1: I I love that that's that that's great we don't get to see it in this match but we do get to see a hell of a lot of cool shit as um uh rear comes out to now I was wondering what um uh dubbed over theme. Uh, she got we uh, got the porno sax theme, uh, not the sort of uh, the synth bop that uh, a lot of the. I think there's only like three or four dub themes that like everyone comes out to on the uh, on the VHS. So she gets the porno sax.
2: It's very much like you got the guys from iss sixty four, and and we need you to do some soundtracks for Channel Five erotica. Can you can you please facilitate <laughs> this for us? And they were like, yes, yeah, fine, we get the, the day off. It's fine. We'll just knock something out. Um, it was great. It very much was. You could, that that's genre of Japanese polymath musician who can literally play any genre they like, and will always put their own weird flourishes into it. But they didn't like um, Channel Five erotica music, and it's great.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's you can imagine like Anton De Cone doing a segment um, with uh, with this in the background. What made me laugh about Tamada's entrance was um, her not really having like much of a character. Um, at this point in her career her entrance was just her jogging to the ring but that's a fucking long ramp like i i just imagine you like geez i would be gassed like before the match even started
0: she needed to do what lco did and just get carried a large part of the way by like a bunch of she, men
1: she needs to do what chaparita asari did and just do loads of backflips and then nearly stack it off the ramp
2: i've not went outside my house for like 14 months so the prospect of walking down a ramp will probably fuck me because uh, I, I can't go to the shops of her being shattered at the moment. So, um, yeah, got them down that ramp's It's nightmare.
1: It's getting the Vince McMahon double quad tear. Um, w- weirdly enough, we don't get uh, Candy Okutsu's entrance on the video. She, we've got a sort of already-in-the-ring WWF metal jobber, uh, although she's the champion. And uh, speaking of which, I um, an interesting, uh, interesting side note is that uh, it, it, it's a great curiosity of this 24-match show. There's only three of them were title bouts. Um, and the other uh, belts were, as uh, Sarah mentioned before, the UWA Women's Tag Titles, and uh, also there was the WWF Women's Championship that we mentioned uh, on the previous episode. Mm, so yeah. this was actually the only AJW belt that was defended on the entire show, and it was the it was the junior one. So like no red belt, no Trans Pacific belt, WWA tag belts, like none of that. Like this was the only uh, belt. So it's kind it's kind of a, an interesting position for but, them to be in
0: but what's in it for them to have the red belt defended on this show of all shows you know when you've already got you know you've got your V-top tournament which is going to determine your number one contender what why do you need a red belt yeah, and no, that, what that's... what do you, what do you gain like what can you a red belt match doesn't actually add anything to this show, which has got Chikasonagaya coming back, which has got Linus Asker coming back, which has got Volmikano having an exhibition match. You know, they don't actually need title matches to build this show, and I don't think it's what this show is for.
1: No, not at all. But I, like, I mean, if it is a junior belt, you may as well. And this is only match three on the show, so all the crowd has seen at this point was the the, the rookie match involving Chaparita Asari and. Uh, three women who were very, very new into their careers, and then the minis match, which we'll come to in a later episode. So, like, they're still pretty pumped for the idea of some wrestling. Now, They
0: haven't been broken by the shoot fights yet.
1: Like we were, yeah. (laughs) So, um, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, it's always interesting to counterpose how the the rookies in the first match wrestled, uh, Asari's uh, spectacular moves aside, with how... Uh, the the women in this match wrestled so I, I yeah like like I said I don't know about your thoughts but I expected this match to be uh quite basic like a sort of okay these are the best in the company at the rookie style of wrestling you know loads of drop kicks and Boston crabs and stuff like that and these are the exemplars and in the same way that like um uh Sireida in stardom she's got a couple of like spectacular moves but her moveset is still quite basic and rookie like and she's, she's their um, uh, their junior champion. So I, I thought, yeah, this will be sort of a really... Kind of like how the Jay White-David Finlay matches um, used to be, like just an A-plus um, example of the rookie style. But um, so there's a double wrist look to start. Kandy Akutsu does a couple of drop kicks. Um, uh, and Tamada takes a powder to the outside. And then Akutsu does a fucking step-up dive onto the top rope and to the outside. So that kind of answers your question about what this match is going to be.
2: You ain't in a Young Lions Cup anymore, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you, you really, you really this aren't. This is the big leaks.
0: Well, uh, to be fair, I, I think when you look at Kami there is more than a little um, Manami Toyota about her gear, And I think that's, you know, I, I mean, who didn't idolise Manami Toyota at this point At this point in the 90s? But um, I think the fact that she then immediately starts doing, like, Manami Toyota just... Chucking herself off the top turnbuckle and things like that yeah. to the floor. It, it it felt very much like she was trying to be like, "This is my moment. I will prove myself. I will prove myself as a Toyota in waiting." Yeah.
2: I was going to ask a question about this. Do you think they played the occasion? You know how we always joke about, you know, don't let play the cup final. Don't let the cup final play you. All that sort of stuff. You know, it's a big yeah. stage and all that. They they absolutely were like they they knew their opportunity and they seized it. They they didn't let them. They don't they didn't let the pressure get to the middle think, and like yeah having this and another crossbody within about seconds yeah it's about just around dive as well <laughs> I, I would I was fully expecting this to just be Young Lions Cup and I I say that I love the Young Lions Cup I think it's one of the most fun things to watch because they're so digestible it's like 10 minute matches and they're always really well executed and it's nice to see people coming on but this was like leagues beyond that like this was like a fully formed this did not look like a Young Lions match or anything like that like these this was this is great.
0: This match would have belonged anywhere on the card, and I probably say that, including the first round of the V top.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like the, the 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 thing it put me in mind of really uh, is um, uh, Saikamitani in Stardom, who is their current kind of super rookie, and she's been resting for like eighteen months. And the thing is, she does all the basic rookie offense as well, like um, like she does she does uh, drop kicks and Boston crabs, but she also does springboard hurricane Rana's, um you know uh, phoenix splash like just some like really like intricate shit but
0: i think the story with, with i think the story with um with, with tall sire is that she's someone who she has all the athletic ability in the world and she can do all of the really cool flippy stuff and she's being trained so that she can do all of the really cool basic stuff what she hasn't got yet because she hasn't had the experience is it hasn't clicked why and when you do all those things and that's probably the reason why I know I know she had you know she had a red belt shot at the Budokan show, and I think a lot of it is you know, the, she's got the ability to get there, but what she hasn't gotten yet is the wrestling instinct, and I think that that's probably a more interesting story than they've told with a lot of kind of recent you know promising young rookies and and things like that. But I think she's you know I think she's also kind of exceptional in in some ways.
1: Yeah, it's a more interesting story than. Where you get either the standard rookie story, which I I really like, of they lose a load, then they get the first win, then they get some more wins, and they're established, or the other, or the other way, where it's like uh, this is the super rookie, and and uh, you know they win all the time. So, uh, but yeah, the, the, that's the thing you see in this match. You see the basic rookie offense, cross bodies and drop kicks, but then you also get stuff like you got a, a Boston Crab that Akutsu locks in, and Tomada like. Uh, she's pulling at her hair to get out of it and then a just grabs her head and just smashes her face into the floor i love that that's a that's a great spot so this is what it i mean is. about it being a level above what you might expect from a rookie match and like the, the the sort of heated nature of it that you would expect of an interpromotional match if these are their respective companies' uh, junior aces then this probably is what it would be
0: I really loved, um, Tamada did this really nasty looking, it was like a modified bow and arrow lock, but instead of like holding them up and putting them in that position, you kind of, she kind of had a horizontal, so she was lied on the floor, but like bent backwards basically, um, and I thought that looked really, really cool, and um, I thought this was really, yeah, it's a really interesting mixture of the rookie and the non-rookie moves, uh, yeah, that was cool, some massive springboard moves, like all sorts of stuff where you can just tell that there's. They're kind of saying, "Okay, we're here to make a statement. We're here to we're here to indicate we're not the Rockies in the first match."
1: Yeah, exactly. And like, this is why I'm really glad because I I think at one point we were considering grouping those two matches uh, together, which I, I think we could have drawn some interesting parallels. But I'm quite I'm quite glad we um we made them different uh, different things for the purposes of this because like yeah, this is like a a world away from that um from that initial uh, initial match. Um, I, I i i do love like they they compress a lot into their like 8 or 9 minutes that they get for this to the point where they're just doing all the yeah like i say all this wild shit um no hand springboards etc and then they start missing moves and this is where like the match really became uh, became incredibly entertaining for me cuz Tomadas on top trying a missile drop kick and a cut you know like how uh Samoa Joe used to do this spot where his opponent would try and do a top rope move, and he'd just smirk and just walk out the way, and then <laughs> they'd absolutely whip it. Yes. And it's just yeah. one of the most baller things ever. Like, yeah, Candy Akutsu does that in this match, and and then like she tries a a back center off the top rope, and Tamato, uh rolls out the way of that. So like, yeah, you really get the sense that they're stepping their game up, and they're just trying to bring a swift end to it, throwing big bombs at their opponents, and thinking, right, fuck, if I nail this. Then this could be the win, but they're leaving themselves open uh, because you know they're not uh, again because this is a a bit of a sprint. They're not making sure that their opponent is sufficiently incapacitated so they can hit these moves. And I think that kind of communicates the idea that they are incredibly talented. But in terms of uh, you know bringing a game plan to the match, they're they're not yet there yet. They still come across as very raw, even though they've got all the moves.
2: They're sending the goalies up for the corner. yeah 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 the Manuel Neuer <laughs> style
1: yeah they're um, yeah they're doing this like all this real cool shit but like they they still come across as really raw and like not in the way that um you know some of the main event wrestlers come across as scrappy it's like right you you've just absolutely fucked yourself <laughs> trying that back sent on I really love this there's also a, a, I've never seen this before which is um, uh Tomada gets a two uh, with a surprise small package but like. I, I think it's like Akutsu rushes her and uh Tamara, like gets her like a real flash pin, but they, they end up in the ropes with the small package. And i I, I I, I, I you very rarely yeah. see that.
2: It's a it's a great wee wrinkle, isn't it? In the match. I uh I quite liked it.
1: Exactly, like you'd have you know the rolling cradle Minari Toyota does. And now she always manages to keep in the centre of the ring and, like, they don't bump against the ropes. There's a difference between that and a difference between, oh, I'm done the surprise small package, I'm going to win. Ah, fuck, I've, uh, I've not positioned myself correctly, have I?
0: They haven't yet acquired veteran ring awareness.
1: <laughs> that uh, that catch-all buzzword.
0: They didn't get
2: all of it, Michael.
1: <laughs> didn't get all of a small package.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, as I said, like, I, I thought this is going to be your your normal young lion. It's similar to the first one, but they... You could clearly see that the dome was more so than a lot of the matches on here. They clearly saw that the dome was a sort of coming out moment for them. And they, they absolutely went for it. And the fact that they were doing like cross bodies after ninety seconds said to me that yeah, there was no, no mercy given. They were given their time, they were getting everything into it and they were making the absolute utmost of it. I really enjoyed the finish with again with all the missed moves and stuff like that. Um and the the suplex to end was, was Brutal. Oh, but... by the end they were, um, they were absolutely just dumping them on their heads and it was it was brutal. But I, I loved it and it was just like it was this natural continu- a, like the natural delineation from double a double wrist lock to start with and then kind of mad shit, mad shit, mad shit, and then the crescendo at the end of just the maddest shit that they had, just a, a brutal head drop and on a card of brutal head drops. Um <laughs> it's it, it it was um par excellence. As they say, the creme de la creme.
0: I feel like at this point they're setting the tone for all of the head droppy goodness that you're going to get later on, aren't they?
2: Yeah, this is this very much. Uh, this is the chaser. This is the Bailey's Irish Cream chaser before <laughs> gin and tonic. Um, I mean, we and, haven't watched
1: the minis hey. match yet. There might have been a burning hammer in that.
2: Can you imagine <laughs> yes
1: I can and it's great yeah that's the, that's the thing this finish was absolutely it was like it was literal Kurt angle shit like when um uh and and like that is a very high compliment because I, I love me some Kurt but um a kind of puts Tamada on the top rope to try, I do to know try and do a superplex and gets kicked away and then thinks fuck it and just runs up sort of jumps onto the top rope and does like a avalanche northern Light suplex which um I mean that would I, I I completely bought that as a finish because oh, yeah. I was like oh okay like uh tomato done absolutely done uh Akutsu decides to put an exclamation point on it with five consecutive rolling Germans <laughs> and that oh. ends up being the finish for fuck's sake.
2: I mean it's literally this stop stop he's already dead. I think then um, uh, um, Alicia Fox. Would be smiling down from beyond <laughs> uh this beautiful normal light suplex. I know she's not dead and she's probably like ten in nineteen ninety-four, but regardless, she she would approve the the goddess of the normal light suplex, the Alicia Fox. But yeah, like it was the five suplexes where I was watching I was like, I'm really enjoying this, and then it's just like I'm gonna put her down. I'm like, fuck, that's an awful German. Oh fuck, oh fuck. <laughs> and he just kept going. I was like, please just stop this, please. She's like, she's got a whole career ahead of her. Come on, um, yeah, like, yeah, great match. Like, of course it is. It's not Big Egg. Nothing on this show is bad. I know it's like ten hours, but like, the, like the worst Big Egg match, and including the Indian child fights in this, is probably better than like anything in New Japan for about fucking eighteen months. Um, like, yeah, like you can see their personality shine through in this match, and you can see that this was a real coming of age moment for them. And I really enjoyed it. I wanted to mention Candy of course's uh, gear. For for a junior, she ranked very high on the big egg um, sartorial week table. I,
0: think I did not really true. like her gear.
1: Yeah. it made yeah. it look. It made it well. You, you said the Toyota comparison, but like yeah, yeah, it made it look a big deal.
0: I think that's the point with each of them, and I think you can tell roughly where they are in their careers and on their respective cards, like based on their gear as well, because so 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 Tomada is. Um, She's definitely graduated up from the earnest rookie swimsuit, but there is still something very kind of cycling shorts about it. Like, it is like, it's the, it's the still kind of like the tight, it's like swimsuit esque. It's more like a short bottom, but it is ultimately, it's more, she's still wearing spandex.
2: Like, is she d'Italia. d'Italia, yeah. but not quite through the France.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's probably a fair, probably a fair comparison, actually. Whereas, whereas Candy feels like she's, she's already wearing her like, grown-up wrestling gear does that make sense like she sounds it sounds like she's someone who's kind of already arrived and i think you know i was trying really hard to avoid spoilers before but i think it's a sign of kind of how how much um jwp actually thought of candy that she retains the title here she drops it back to chaparita asari um a few months later a few months later in march 1995 um and then three months later jwp invents the jwp junior championship and gives it to her so and then she has um she actually has two runs with with, with it but the first one is probably the, the first one is, is much longer the second one she had it for a day literally she won it and then she dropped it immediately afterwards um but the fact that she's obviously someone that they're actually thinking okay well she's good enough and she's big enough we're going to give her a title to defend on our own shows you know within less than a year of this I, I think she is she's definitely the one that they see something in at that point for jwp yeah
1: absolutely i mean yeah where, where this match is uh, i mean her talent is uh is evident and if you'd have given me a hundred guesses at all oh, right here's the junior championship match what is the finish gonna be go i've gone boston crab no missile dropkick no half boston crab <laughs> no Quarter, quarter boss yeah. <laughs> And like yeah I, I would not have guessed again again five's such a weird number because like Angle like always used to do three. Upon when he did like ten to Stone Cold that time, which uh, must have fucking sucked. But uh yeah, it's just
2: like For a man who broke his
1: neck. Yes, indeed. So it's like, yeah, five rolling five rolling German suplexes, like, yeah, okay, that is uh that is what you call a decisive finish and to defeat someone who is a former uh AJW Junior champion herself. In that way, yeah. Again, really shows what JWP and AJW thought of it because, like AJW didn't used to hand its belts out to invaders willy nilly. Like, I don't know no, the, they the, were
0: quite protective. Actually, yeah, like over don't know about who, can, go, yeah. Over who got their belts in different promotions.
1: Yeah, like Dynamite Canzio had a run with the um, uh, with the red belts, and uh, I know Kandori did uh, because it was after the uh, sort of financial issues started to bite, and there was some uh, tag belt runs for. Um, uh, I, th- I think Kudo and Toyota might, uh, from FMW might have had a run with the uh, tag belts. But yeah, I mean, they, they didn't have uh, outsiders wind belts very often. And have had a decently long reign. So um, yeah, clearly someone who, again, in another age, things being different to what they were, probably could have been a real big star in Joshi and as such um, you know, ended up being someone who was good for her era. And had a sort of a certain status within an industry, which sadly was shrunken from what it had been. So, uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was uh, extremely good. And then we got the uh, we got the the giant. Uh, well, it wasn't really. We were just trying to decide whether it was a giant check, but it, there didn't seem to be any monetary value on it. So I think it was just an, an extremely large certificate.
2: I'd take it. I'd I'd love that. I'm oh, trying yeah, to find I'd a frame ha- for that. I I, I know it. would take up half my fucking wall space, but you'd absolutely have it, wouldn't you? imagine oh, i've turned and fucking storage hunters in like 20 years i mean i <laughs> just
0: i just want to say now i pretty much duck out of bed in the morning for less than a certificate like i am very big on having <laughs> external validation for everything i do so if someone's gonna hand me a certificate i'm gonna you know i'm here for that all the way
1: absolutely and then we got the, the usual um post-match interviews we have candy akutsu um you know Celebrating with uh, with what I'm now going to call the teal belt, and uh, <laughs> then you have uh, the losers' enclosure and uh, Ria Tamada looking fairly gutted.
0: I, looking fairly gutted. Seriously, she was the first crying child of the night. Like, and they, and there were more. There were more after her. Like, imagine if you this, you know, this Paul lass devastates you with her crying like sixteen year oldness or however, however old she is at this point, and then. A couple of hours later, Kyoko Hamaguchi comes through and just cries all the way through the press conference again. Like, how many crying children are you going to make me watch, Joshi? This is terrible. By the VTOP tournament,
2: you'll be dead inside. You'll just be like, I've been desensitized <laughs> to so many crying children that I no longer feel sorrow. I just don't feel any emotions whatsoever. you mean in roughly just- the
1: same state as Akira Hokuto's neck.
0: <laughs> pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Being held in place until the end of the show.
1: Yeah, but like emotionally. Yeah. Um, so uh,
0: aren't yeah. we all, George? Aren't we all <laughs> just
2: held together in place emotionally throughout any of these shows? Just life. Yeah. Well,
0: and through pretty much the entire time that we've been uh, like planning to do this podcast, yeah. to be fair, because it's been a it's been a rough yeah. year. This
1: is this is true, and yeah, you know, this is. Um, so yeah, this was. Uh, I'm not gonna say that like this is the uh, greatest match on the show, but I I really enjoyed it. Crowd seemed to be in, into it, and the shoot fights are coming up soon. You know, in hour two's time, they'd be fucking bed- begging for Candy Akutu versus Rie Tamada.
2: Halcyon days, you know, the golden age of begging <laughs> <It laughs>
1: era <isn't it>? one. <laughs> the sort of like Cenozoic era of this show um so yeah that was the um that was the um junior championship match from uh, big egg wrestling universe and uh yeah it certainly defied my expectations of what it would be and sort of led me to reassess what exactly the AJW junior division actually was um so yeah I'd be I'd be really happy to see some more of the uh junior title matches and certainly some more from these two
0: I would like to follow this up by say, but by, by just thinking about kind of the grand tradition of we're now at a point where it makes more sense to do. It makes more sense to have a junior belt in the way that Stardom frames it as being the future of the company because it's not it's not necessarily a a young uh, you know a, a young woman's game in the sense of being under 18s now to be uh, to be a rookie and Joshi, but there are still enough of them Uh, you know there's enough of them to make that work but you know at the same time gory chan the much beloved big sire in in stardom you know she is not that you know she's not under 18 but she's the right person to be carrying that belt at that time it's about we don't have the same talent pipeline now that we did then um and has to be kind of flexible enough to to accommodate that i guess um so basically just gonna add i just wanted to end with Who's everybody's favorite junior wrestler? It doesn't have to be now, but maybe in the last couple of years or your last junior slash like rookie period.
1: Ooh, that's a uh, that's a that's a that's a tough one. Um, I'm I mean I'm 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 a big fan of uh, Meiho Shizuki in Marvelous, who mentioned okay. early, early in the episode. Like, I think she, it, I mean she she's clearly a hell of an athlete. Like, I remember reading the uh, the Super Magazine profiles of all of the. Uh, of the of the wrestlers where it says like you know where, where they're from when they were born what their interests are etc one of the things is their sports background and hoshizuki's sports background was like um sprinting volleyball football and like one of the things like fucking hell all right jesus so like um um yeah she's got i thought the um match she had with uh with asmi for the um for the stardom high speed belt at their big uh, yokohama show earlier this year was was incredible again, again like uh i don't know was asmi going to be your pick uh, Sarah? Uh,
0: you see, I'm actually torn, and I was hoping that you guys would answer first whilst I made up my mind.
1: Oh right. uh, Okay, well... Uh, I mean, I... Yeah, go on, go on.
2: I, I can go. I mean, there's lots of um, criteria that you can measure sort of the best junior wrestler, on. Is it, is it in-ring talent? Is it agility? Is it, you know, roundness of character? Is it our ability to... Is ring psychology? The ability to work a big match and build and Ascends and there is lots of criteria you can take, but I think to be honest, in in reality, it is truly Ram Kuchow is the greatest junior wrestler of all time. <laughs> um, all these factors aside, um, she's just the queen of my heart. To be honest, and yeah, like I I think genuinely as well, like for like having a career at the age of like nine and six six six, and becoming like this legend, and then just going away and going to school and stuff like that, and then coming back eight years later. Is like the coolest thing in the world. Like just to go, like to have a whole career, go away, go to school, come back, and then have another career and just reset. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I love her. Um, it's great. but um, second place, Starlight Kid, obviously. Starlight yeah, Kid,
1: yeah, yeah. Star, Starlight Starlight Kid's so good. Like,
0: so the the Starlight Kid as me kind of fight fight forever feud is something that has brought joy to my heart for a really long time, and I love that it really has started from them being from them being kids because they both started so young. At the moment, I'm a bit more worried about Starlight Kid than I am about Asmi because it feels like Asmi's already graduated and Starlight Kid, they haven't quite figured out how to get her out of that, you know, furry mask equals kind of cute and young, but she's actually a bit too old for that now and she's very much at a point in her career where she's just too good for that. So uh, I feel like Asmi's graduation has been, has kind of happened in a way that, kids just hasn't yet i'm rooting for her because i think she's brilliant and you know i would love to see i'd love to see those two basically feuding over the red belt in well let's face it like next week i'd see that any day of the week but you know in a few years time they are absolutely the people who will be running that company
2: i have i have a solution to your your problem your dilemma in terms of who you would go for i think we should all we all have our picks in terms of who you pick you pick as but much like uh, me and my friends at eurovision we all have our own pick and then we have a collective pick that the whole collective wills on which i feel would be starlight kids in this case where we all really want we all really like starlight kid we have our own individual picks but as a unit we all support starlight kid yeah i think that's a shit we can
1: agree on that i think i think um i think one of the other reason as As is so good is because i mean she 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 manages to be in queen's quest while still having a personality and that, that's <laughs> she's um, the
0: only one who does. That's
1: that's quite uh, different because, like, if you see, like, um, you know, Momo Watanabe, like, um, like when she did that uh, English language promo to the um, uh, to the crowd at the uh, the New York show a couple of years ago, I would like, oh, she she's really charming and engaging, and uh, but like she's doing a sort of Ice Queen gimmick, uh, which like doesn't really let you show off the personality mm-hmm. that you have, and like that that's generally I, I really like Queens Quest; they're really cool, but like that's their general five, But, like, Asmi is just a shithead, and always has been. Like, when she was 12, she had this stable called Asmi's Army, and it was just her and some feral kids, and they were just like, just cutting promos on the roster, calling them old and, and uh, washed up, and and stuff like this. So, like, that that's, like, that's, uh, that's very yeah, cool. Yeah, you have to
2: respect someone who's just dedication to being a shithead. Like, unwavering Constitution of I must be a colossal dickhead at all times. Yes. and you you have to respect that. Like that's, um, yeah, like like your
0: your your Julian Dixes of the world and your Razor Ruddocks. You, you have to respect it. I just think it's so interesting that probably the moment when a lot of people suddenly who didn't already know about Stardom really fell into it was when was during the breakup of Thunder Rock and when Io Shirai abandons Mayu. Um, and goes off to form Queen's Quest. And who does she choose to kind of be the minions that she's going to shape in her own image at that point? She chooses Momo and, and Haske, who are, like, 14 at the time. But that's the idea, is that she's picked them out as the people who will be her henchmen and that eventually she can kind of craft and shape.
1: And then Azmi came along...
0: Uh... Yeah, yeah, because Momo was injured for a while, wasn't Momo she? Momo was injured. Hazke was, Hazke, Hazke was
1: a bit older, actually, because, like, she would she started resting and then left for a bit and then... Uh and then come back. I think yeah. Momo was, like, 16 at the time and then got injured and had uh, never, like, really shown many signs of being any good and then, like, came back from her injury and was, like, suddenly incredible. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm, I'm still not uh, quite sure that how that happened. I'd also like to cast a vote for uh, Rin-Rin and Gato Move. Just for yeah. Be- just for being... I mean, like, she's, uh, like, like, say, like uh, we said in the intro, she's, like, clearly a gigantic weirdo and... Uh, uh, w- in the the um, aforementioned Shufo, uh articles, where they list their interests, one of hers was just communicating with the universe, and like I I think that's great. And also when she uh, was asked her what what are your ambitions for the next year it was to be taller than Ruga. <laughs> so like I think that's uh, I I I think that's uh, I think that's uh, very good. Uh, I, also, I also want to uh, cast a vote for Suzu Suzuki. Uh, yes, I she, think Suzu
0: is an absolute nailed-on. Because
1: she's only she's only eighteen. Um, she's been wrestling like I think only only a couple of years. Currently in the midst of a death match series against people such as Masashi Takeda, Jun Kasai, Isami Kadaka, and um, like you know, there's a, there's a bunch of fucking VLS out there on like s- certain reaches of uh, of uh, Joshi Twitter. Um, like we're if, going you know, to
2: Shane Douglas here. Cut my fucking music and shoot. On yeah. the, the the health and safety brigade, those bureaucrats in Brussels.
1: Yeah, yeah, literally, it's just like, oh no, don't, don't, don't do death matches. You're so pretty, etc. Et, et and <sighs> and it's yeah, I I know. It's just it, it's just like, I mean, who like? F- firstly, fuck off. Secondly, like, I, I fuck w- off again. Yeah, who who are you to like tell a young woman what she should be doing with her Because like, if you look at um. Like Suzu Suzuki getting like getting a forehead carved up with like a pair of giant comedy scissors, or like uh, like you know getting uh, getting suplexed onto ladders and stuff like that, getting all bloodied up, and then like you see her interviewed after the match, she's clearly just having an incredibly good time. Like you know she grew up on watching Big Japan, because they were the only wrestling company that came to her uh, hometown, which is, like, out in the sticks. So she just, like, grew, grew up as a teenager, idolising, like, Ryuji Ito and Abdullah Kobayashi and people like that. And and it's just like, yeah, yeah, she's just doing what she loves. Like, how, how could you possibly have a problem with this?
2: Yeah, all these people are fucking quiet when Shadow WX is fucking carving up his face. Suddenly it's a woman and there was, oh no! Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, it's, it's,
1: it's very transparent, like, um, what the, uh, you know, my, my, my waifu might get uh, might get a few blading scars. Like, well, you, you know, that's, uh, you know, would would I want to be carved up by a pair of giant comedy scissors? Absolutely not. But, like, you know, it's clearly what she wants for her career. And to their credit, Ice Ribbon are just bringing in, like, the very creme de la creme of deathmatch workers for her to wrestle so they're they're I think it shows what
0: they see in her actually as well the fact that they want her to be able to say that she did all these things and you know when eventually she wins the title back because yeah she's already had a title run you know she'll be ready and she will be an absolute world beater at that point she'll really belong in that position as the ace
1: yeah I mean she's clearly a very special talent and like yeah you know if her company doesn't have a problem with her doing this stuff that she's asked to do, then, you know, some rando with a Twitter account really shouldn't. And I speak as a rando with a Twitter account myself.
2: I am, um, I, I was going to say uh, with this, what what would be really, uh, really be great. Imagine if somebody had done that and they just absolutely loved, like, a uh, 90s old Japan or Noah, and you're just like, get Kawada, and yeah, we're going to have like, you know, Io I- 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 Shirai versus Kawada and a trial series and stuff. I think that would be great. So that, that that's pretty much what it is to her. It is, like, the, uh, the yeah. four pillars of deathmatches and she's getting to face them all. It's fantastic. Like, yeah, I, I love it. It's, it's, it's a great thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's really good. And you can tell that, like, because the, they're all intergender deathmatches as well. And you can tell that the guys who are in there wrestling with her are really sort of, you can tell she has their respect for uh, for doing it. And, like, They they they're, they're not holding back. But they're also like, you know, giving her a lot as well. They're not just fucking, they're not just squash matches. Like, um, I mean, the one, the one, the most recent one I watched, the one against Takeda, it was just like, um, Takeda did this promo about how I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to, I'm going to cut her up with all this stuff. And then Susie's just saying, I'm going to win by kicking her in the dick. <laughs> <laughs> so she brings that precise type of energy to the matches. And I, I really love that. And like, you know, um, she, she, she's clearly a great worker. As, as opposed to this, like you know, she's not one of these fucking um, you know GCW Nazis who like like I do death matches because I can't work and I've got a high tolerance for pain. You know, like like she she's a great wrestler. This is just what she loves doing. So fucking let her do it. So yeah, um, that's uh, kind of a. Um, I mean, a, a, if you want if you want to know about Joshi rookies, uh, just hit up our friend Luke at Oyster's Earrings because it seems like every three months some like weird rookie debuts that. Uh, like he, he finds like um yuki Mashiro in uh in uh ice ribbon who like made her own belt out of uh, out of cardboard and is trying to trying to get it and I uh, i i i think like in her first 20 matches she'd issued like four title challenges after them <laughs> there's like just needs to be told how things work so yeah there's there's like whatever the joshi industry is now uh compared to what it was back then like in sort of commercial terms and you don't have the pipeline of new talent that you used to have but like there's still some incredibly talented women in there who are just um coming into into the industry so like you know the, the future is very bright from a talent uh, a talent perspective still
0: absolutely they're coming into the industry but we're actually watching them coming into their own yeah. as well like and i think that's one of the things that joshie has actually always been really good at is it giving you a route into watching people progress and, and grow through those stages and i think and off the top of my head now i can think of at least three other juniors that i'd love to mention during the, i'd have loved to have mentioned during that conversation just then but the list goes on and on and i cannot wait to see what the industry is going to be in 5 years time by the time those people are kind of maybe you know i was going to say mid career but let's face it they might end up wrestling when they're nearly 60 like jaguar e. carter so so who knows but you we can, know we can only big, hope but just imagine what the industry is going to be if, like, the you know, Miss Aruga's a bit past that point, but if we're talking about people with less than two years' experience, which would make you eligible for an AJW junior championship, Miss Aruga, before she was two years into the industry, was already kind of world class. Lulu Pencil, within two years of being in the industry, brought something that nobody else had in the entire industry. She brought something that was kind of completely, you know, You couldn't copy that if you tried. Like, no one could try and be Lulu Pencil other than Lulu Pencil. That's incredible. And, you you know, you think of so many, like, Marvelous has an incredible track record of rookies. I'm really excited about what people like Manami are going to do in Sendai Girls because I think they're already showing a lot of promise. Yeah, the future's bright as long as they look after these lasses. You know what I mean?
2: I I think, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And I think this is one of the advantages it has over um, male Joshi. Um, And this is that, like, when you watch in New Japan, or Old Japan or something like that, it's always it's a guy in black trunks, and maybe if he wins a match, he'll get a knee pad. And then, like, they have, <laughs> they yeah. They're bossing crabs and drop kicks, and that's it. And they did it for three years, and then they disappear off to Mexico. Nobody sees them for ages, and they come back, and then they have a weird gimmick, and then that that's it. But, like, you, the, the good thing is is that you're seeing that in, in uh, Joshi, like, you've got, like, move where... The get it seems to be in New Japan. It's like oh, you fuck about it for three years, you go away to Mexico, and then you find your gimmick, and then you come back, and then like you you kind of have to crowbar that gimmick in and try and make it work straight from the bat. Whereas these these people in the Gattamov and stuff that already have their gimmick, they they all they are being encouraged to forge that when they are when they are training from the get go, so that by the time they get to the sort of age where they would be going away if they were a New Japan wrestler. They're whatever fully formed gimmick. They know exactly what they're doing, and they have full autonomy over it. They know exactly how how to work matches and stuff like that, and they have a great view of like character psychology. And I think you just get a more um, like a more a bigger diaspora of like you know, um, youth talent coming through.
0: Yeah, Yeah,
2: they're more rounded and they're more interesting. They have different gimmicks and stuff like that that you just don't really get out of. Um, like men's Japanese wrestling, I I would absolutely I I do I think that the young lions are are really um are far better at Joshi than they are like Puro. But I think as well that there is also, even like in New Japan it always seems to be oh you've got a, you've got a young lion he'll just get murdered by Tenzan and then that's it and then that's it. and even though like there is still that progression where you earn your win and stuff like that. They are going toe to toe with people like Mako and Azure Kong and and, um, Emi Sakura and stuff like that. And these people are more willing to go, like, uh, make sure that they learn something out of these matches. And they're getting more spotlights against these instead of just being an innate man on some, like, Corican show that nobody watches and, like, kind of having to learn from that. I think there is a more focus where it's a bit more, it's on a more personal level. In the sense that the, the training they get, and I think that having we have a golden generation of people who are training, and like they're the I I really am excited. One thing I'm excited to see is in like 10-15 years when all the major sure, uh, when all the every soccer trainees start training other people, like your Mesa Ruga and your Lulu Pencil and stuff like that, and I think that yeah, like it's just a it's just a great age that we live in for for joshi uh, rookies and. Yes, fantastic.
0: I cannot wait. She's not a she she's not a rookie anymore, but I feel like, you know, you could see it in her at the time. Just imagine what Mio Mamono's trainees are gonna be Absolutely. like one day.
1: May May's already training people at the um the she I think she's the head for Is this for... No, no. <laughs> and, and her friend chateau? friend I think you'll find may saruga and Mesa Michelle are completely different people. No, no, she um she uh does the training for Dowajo, which is the, the sort of exercise class type thing that um uh, I don't know. as it has been? Operating well, yeah. She's during been crafting. Lockdown?
0: She's been crafting her skills in in gato move, where she's been singing to people whilst they do their squats.
1: Yes, that that is true. But yeah, no. She's done some training of like the um, it's sort of the exercise class they do, where like some of the wrestlers, if they decide they can, uh, which is where a lot of the new, the new intake of rookies have come from. Yeah, she's already doing a doing a bit of that. So it's uh, it's really exciting. Uh, David, you having raised the spectre of men's wrestling, um, here is as good a way as any to lead on to what we're doing for episode eleven. I feel.
2: Well, thank God, finally, the most persecuted minority in the world. <laughs> Men, finally. When, when are we getting a men's match on Big Egg? We've been saying for ages and ages and ages, and the woke stazzy uh, have just been completely shutting us down. But now, finally, me and the rest of Fathers for Justice have finally got what we wanted, apart from the custody of our kids, apart from that. But, yeah, the the, the, the boys are back in town, literally.
1: Yeah, Nicola, Nicola Sturgeon, Wee Jimmy Cranky and the Woke SMP. <laughs> they never let us have an all-Japan men's wrestling, would they? No. <laughs>
0: to, to um, would be and when's International Men's Day, Damn it! But, <sighs> I don't know about you guys, but I really missed men.
2: The <laughs> bastards, a lot of them. I, I feel this is a perfect time to mention my cousin, uh, I remember, oh, my niece, sorry, uh, during her birthday when she was like 10, she, she got like some, uh, like, colouring and stuff like that and she just made a giant sign and says do not trust boys they are smelly and I think that really she really got to the very end of this world that we live in and I tell you what, you know, you're
0: raising her right, your family is raising her right
2: <laughs> um, well I, I don't know about you but I
1: will be reporting this to Lawrence Fox and his uh, whatever the fuck his uh, legion of divorced
2: dads is called he's too busy trying to beat a man who drinks his own piss on YouTube and uh, to bother with your concerns.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yes, uh, we we are sorry to report to you listeners that um, there were indeed some token men's matches uh, on uh, yeah. AJ, or on AJW's um Dome of great War you know what whatever the full name was that I've quoted at multiple times during this series so far that definitely had women in the title. Yes, indeed, there so, is there there is indeed um, some some token men's jersey action.
1: There's, yeah, there's a there's there's a couple of men's matches. So, um, but I think it would be interesting to talk about exactly. Firstly, what were they doing on this show, and uh, secondly, what the the interrelation was of AJW. Partnering with uh, with uh, male wrestlers at the time, and just to be apt, we thought we would uh, stick it in the death spot before we start doing the V top. So it's it's in the it's in the it's doing in the a progress. progress we? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, our minds both went there.
0: It's a good job that we're actually finishing. You know, that we're actually finishing when we are, because if we'd overrun, the men's match would have actually got cut for time to make room <laughs> for the V top tournament. You know. So uh yeah,
2: I think we should do for the next episode. We should just go. Why was this match on? Go the patriarchy and then do 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 and then just end the episode. No,
1: Absolutely. Pretty much. So, so, yeah, we have two matches for you. One is from uh, AJW's minis uh, division, the male minis division, which was actually uh, a fixture of the promotion throughout this period. And the other one is a six man exhibition from the uh, Michinoku Pro promotion, uh, which was uh, just sort of, uh, I think, just starting up around about the time and uh, like a lot of. Uh, of wrestlers who have become quite famous in the uh, so-called lucharesu star- style uh they they had an exhibition match on here so we'll we'll get into that and then we'll get back to the uh to the the actual joshi with a i think three episode uh run that where we're going to cover the eight woman v top tournament in which like the real big league main event stars of joshi wrestling at the time uh, uh resided for this show
0: the bit that you've been waiting for for months folks is <laughs> yeah. finally coming just as soon as we've got the bloody men out of the way
1: yes um possibly literally bloody men in, in times I don't know how violent the minis match was but um, we'll so see all that oh thing.
2: I have many details at all about the EGW minis have done some really stupid death matches and they're fantastic <laughs>
1: hey, excellent we'll, we'll, we'll look to you to carry uh, to carry that one then Um, but uh, for the moment I am going to bring the episode to a close here I've been George Thompson and uh, for uh, Sarah and David we shall uh, just uh, plug our shit shall we
0: yes i'm going to start so because we mentioned our friend at uh, oyster's earrings on twitter um a, a few minutes ago um he's uh, genuinely he is probably your best source on the internet for basically um what to be watching in modern joshi today i think he's uh, i think he and he writes about it with kind of real real flair and real passion more than anything um so i am a subscriber to um, his Substack newsletter and it is well well worth your time with updates on kind of what the most exciting and most interesting matches have been during each month um it's well worth your time it's like less than four quid a month um but the current post is usually free as well so if you check out his twitter if you check out his twitter account which is at oysters earrings um you'll find the links on there but i cannot recommend checking that out enough for me it's become kind of essential reading for kind of figuring out who's who's interesting and what's going on where it's been absolutely invaluable um in terms of whilst I'm plugging all of my friends shit as well um so friend of the podcast um LJ Gray who is at Illustrated Law on Twitter as well um contributed an essay to a book called So Hormonal which has been published by Monstrous Regiment Publishing which is an independent publishing house so we love it and we want to support it anyway um but yeah check that book out if you can um LJ's writing is kind of really really beautiful and really honest and i think that's kind of replicated throughout the the book which is essentially um in some cases very personal and in some cases kind of much broader um stories about hormones living with them and being affected by them um which is something that as a society we don't talk about enough it's very stigmatizing and you know often gets so mixed up in other conversations about identities and sexuality and you gender issues around like women not being taken seriously when they go to the doctor all of those issues that kind of really come to the fore in this book which i cannot recommend highly enough i've you know i've read mine cover to cover um so please do check that out um i think if you go to our illustrated law on twitter you'll be able to find the the information but the the links will be in the show notes for this episode as well for everything that i've mentioned here um for myself i'm at sarah parkin 1 on twitter um and i contributed a essay to a book called women love wrestling which is about women loving wrestling um so women e- either writing by or writing about um women interested in the wrestling industry so Again, links will be in the show notes. Um, women Love Wrestling has also given birth to a website quite recently as well. So if you go to womenloverwrestling.net, um, you'll be able to find more up there. I think if you don't want um, to actually pay for the book, then I think an edited version of my essay is actually now online there. But bearing in mind that proceeds for the book are going to reign in the US and women's aid in the UK, um, I think personally that you should have a paywall where, as a matter of conscience chuck a couple of quid to women's aid if you're going to go and look at it on the website because frankly they need the money um and i think that's it from me lads
1: all right david what about
2: yourself so i uh, i would like to echo previously the um oysters eating substack um i think to be honest in previous years it's been a bit difficult keeping a keeping a top Joshi, especially the sort of micro promotions um you know that are on the sort of uh, more uh, grassroots level And uh, Luke has uh, An undying um, passion for it And he writes so well And to be honest If you are a Joshi fan and the fact that you're listening to Episode 10 of a review <laughs> Of the Big Egg Wrestling Universe show Says to me you <laughs> probably are Um, It is Quite literally an essential guide If you want to keep any sort of um Finger on the Joshi pulse um. And yeah, myself, if if you want to keep your finger on the pulse of um, Partick Thistle, then uh, I'm your man. Uh, we have a podcast called Drawers of Draw, Lizard, Draw. We're doing lots of wild things. Yeah, like we do a podcast about Partick Thistle and we've done lots of documentaries. One of the 1921 Scottish Cup final involving um, Daniel uh, from this, uh, from the Pure Pre podcast. podcast. Um, Daniel also has his own. Uh, writings at Handloom Lament, and he does lots of music at Handloom L- Lament as well. So, I certainly say give um, him a shout on there. But certainly, I would certainly encourage you to listen to the Party Fistle podcast. There's lots of weird episodes and documentaries and stuff that you don't need to have an interest in Fistle or even Scottish football, to be honest, to kind of enjoy. And as well as that, my music's at hand. no, Handloom Lament, it's fucking dinosaurs, isn't it? Uh, my music is fastbook.bandcamp.com. Uh, you can buy my music, but I don't, don't bother buying it. Just download it for free and give money. Women's it to be honest. That's far more fucking sensible. Um, and yeah, just you know. Oh, I'm at Viano fourteen as well. Um, on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, um, doing oh. lots of stuff. So Viano fourteen, just look for sort of like that. And you'll find me. I'm sure I'll get docs soon for saying that. Um, but <laughs> 14, yeah, fourteen
0: just... in like Arabic numerals or Roman numerals.
2: Uh, so, uh, Roman numerals. So, it's, it's an old joke on the Viano family of wrestlers. And there's like one, two, three, four, and five. And there's so many of them that I'm Viano 14. Um, although they fucking started doing some of Viano 14 and Viano 4 Jr. and stuff like that. I'm like, that's not how this works. No, just... El Hijo del Viano 14. WrestleMania yeah. 4 Jr. El Hijo del <laughs> WrestleMania <laughs> 6. That just doesn't work like that, does it? Um, but yeah, uh, so Viano 4 on various social media platforms. Draw a lizard, draw the Partic Fistle podcast, um, fastbook.bandcamp.com, but most importantly, donate to Women's Aid, or j- just someone. In fact, do you know what? Just while we're at this, right? Just because I just, it just popped into my head, and I do apologise, because I know you want to watch Line of Duty.
0: Um... <laughs> it's finished now, mate, where I play, isn't it?
2: Exactly, right. Uh, I want to give a, a shout-out to my friend, uh, my friend Graham Caldwell, um, who is part of an initiative called the Blast Beat Bicycle Club, right? And um... Now, what Blast Beat Bicycle Club does is a bunch of people who really like grindcore music, hence the name Blast Beat Bicycle Club, what they do is you donate to them, and they buy uh, bicycles for uh, people in the third world. Um, so it's like, you know, good, good bicycles. And then um, we put a message up today of a woman from, I believe it was Nicaragua, somewhere around, somewhere around that, one of the blue and white flagged countries. But um, he put up one from there of this woman who had been given a bike by the Blast Beat Bicycle Club um, and she'd use it to like, set up her own business and stuff and is they're providing for um her parents and stuff like that, using it and just being able to go out and live her life and have a bit more independence and things like that. And it's just this really tearful message of just, like, it was absolutely lovely that they were doing this. So i have definitely suggest, if you want... Yeah, it is, like, unbelievable. It's just, like, a, a bunch of grindcore weirdos decided hey, let's just do something really, really nice. So, um yeah, Blast Week Bicycle Club, do that. Because it, it's quite... Um, they're quite pricey, but you can donate like, bits and bobs and stuff like that, and I would definitely suggest it.
1: Yeah, fan- fantastic. Um, so, uh, while we're uh, plugging stuff by our wonderful and ta- talented comrades, uh, this is kind of a more uh, recent initiative. Um, At It's Dana Now on Twitter has been tra- uh, translating from Japanese, uh, which is certainly something I, I could never do, um, some uh, long-form interviews with Joshi wrestlers that have uh, appeared in a magazine called Sportiva. There's an interviewer who is doing a series, um, essentially like What is Female Strength? And um, the most recent one was, um, it actually, this actually relates to um, what I've been talking about today with uh, junior wrestlers. Um, uh, Mina Shirakawa, who I mentioned uh, earlier, was having started uh, relatively late in life compared to others at the age of 29. There was uh, an interview that uh, she did recently, which has been translated, and um, it's, it's all about how she got into the business, how she um. Where she sees her role as kind of an older rookie wrestler, uh, how she struggled to be taken seriously because she came from uh, from modelling, and uh, you know it, it's a very it's a very um, thoughtful and uh, and astute interview, and it's been very wonderfully translated. So um, uh, yeah, follow uh, at it's Dana now on Twitter for some more of that stuff. Um, so um, as far as stuff that I've got to plug uh, that I have made. Um, That's where to start. So I have a novel called... uh, "So." that makes it sound like I have my finger in so many pies. I really fucking don't. Um, So uh, The Rise and Fall of Ricky Dozan, uh, which is the name of the novel that I wrote about professional wrestling in Japan in the late 50s and early 60s. Uh, It's about uh, Ricky Dozan, who was the uh, first big uh, mainstream wrestling star. In So he wasn't the first Japanese wrestler, he was the first one to really... Make it into a a business juggernaut, um, and yeah, it's about his career and all the definitely not illegal things that he ended up doing as part of his business dealings. Um, so um, it really uses wrestling as a lens to look at the uh, the post-war Japanese society and its culture and how wrestling uh, played a part in the the new national ideal that was uh, developing um, around about that time. Uh, People seem to have enjoyed it. Uh, I've got uh, nothing but five-star reviews on Amazon, nothing but four and uh, five-star reviews on Goodreads. I will happily accept a four-star review, especially when it's by someone who, uh, if you look at their programme, they have rated uh, most Jane Austen novels a three. So I will absolutely be happy to stick it to the late Jane Austen because <laughs> I uh, have disliked uh, heartily all of the books of her that I've ever read. And uh, so, yes, yeah, The Rise and Fall of Ricky Dozan. Do pick it up. £2.49 on your Kindle and uh, £14.99 on the paperback. Um, i have also got a chapter in a book called uh, The 100 Greatest Literary Detectives. If you are a fan of detective fiction, that's a very uh, fun and accessible uh, primer to uh, some you know, a lot of famous fictional detectives and some of you may not necessarily be aware of. I've got a little uh, chapter in that about the novels of Jasper Ford. Um, so yeah, yeah, uh, do, do check that out if you can. Um, I have got a uh, Twitch stream, twitch.tv forward slash Lord Tempai L-O-R-D-T-E-N-P-A-I Every Thursday at 8pm uh, British time, I play Mahjong online and I uh, go through the games and uh, explain the moves and uh, the rules of the game. And so it's, it's, a good, it's good for people who um, are uh, just getting into mahjong, for example, if you're uh, a fan of Final Fantasy XIV or the Yakuza series, you can play mahjong on those. Uh, if you want to help improve your skills, then uh, do tune into um, do tune into my stream. On the other hand, if you're just up for uh, me chatting shit about Change UK and the Labour Party and stuff like that while I play mahjong, then we have that as well. So we've got uh, you know, different drinks for different needs. Um, as for where you can follow the podcast, you can follow at Pero Podcast on uh, Twitter for all of our, our shit posting. And, uh, you can, uh, subscribe to the Poe podcast at, uh, SoundCloud and on Stitcher Radio and on iTunes and, uh, find our writings at I Maintain, the double stomp is silly.com. Uh, myself, David, and Sarah have all contributed various things to that in the past. There's an eclectic range of, uh, both serious and frivolous articles on professional wrestling of all kinds. So, uh, yeah, feel free to, uh, go over there and give us uh, some clicks because the Russian bots are getting lonely and um, so uh, that is all for episode 10 of Big Ed Podcasting Universe Uh, thank you very much guys for joining us we'll be back with uh, episode number 11 uh, in which sadly we will have to talk about the men but uh, let's get through it together alright Okay, adios